Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. Welcome to this episode of the Teaching Behavior Together podcast. Today we have a Q&A episode, so let's get right into the questions. The first question that I got was, any advice that I have for working with paras as a younger teacher? So first, what I want to say is this can be pretty tough depending on a situation that you're walking into. I know that myself being younger at times, it can be intimidating when working with different individuals that have been around for a really long time or have been in a classroom or a building for a really long time. And you are put in a position where you are the one leading that classroom or leading some sort of behavioral programming or programming in general for a student. So I do want to just acknowledge that this can be intimidating. It can be a tough situation to be in and you're not alone for thinking that this is tough or that's something that you want some advice on. The first thing that I'll recommend just kind of goes along with just being a young teacher in general and that is just to build rapport with the people in your building and really seek out their advice and ask for support in different areas so that you're able to build one rapport with them and you're also able to build your skills because the people that have been teaching for a while or have been paraprofessionals for a while have a lot of valuable advice to give to you and it can be really helpful in developing your skills as a teacher. Another thing I would do is listen, listen a lot because they're going to have a lot to share with you, especially if they've been in that building, in that classroom, working with a certain group of students for a long time, they're going to have a lot to share with you. And I would just listen as much as you can so that you're able to gather all the information that you can and shape your teaching practice for that year. Another thing I would do is work together as much as possible. Try and incorporate activities where you can be working alongside your paras as much as possible. And this can be a little bit tricky, especially if you're doing like rotations, but can go a long way with developing a really good working relationship. You're also modeling great instructional techniques that paras can use with students when they're working one-on-one with them. Another thing that I would do is avoid creating any type of divide through quote-unquote assigning tasks to paraprofessionals that are quote-unquote paraprofessional tasks. For example, if you are working on supporting the toileting needs of your students and you assign toileting to the paraprofessionals, it might seem like paraprofessionals are the ones that work on toileting as opposed to we as a collective group of adults in this room support all of the needs of all of our students. So I would avoid those types of like assigned tasks and really work as a cohesive group of adults inside of your classroom so that you're able to all support all of the needs of all of your students. Another thing I would do is reinforce, and I don't mean like in a condescending reinforce praise type of way, but in a genuine way, let them know that you really appreciate all of the work that they do with the students in your classroom and that they're doing a really good job. Everyone likes to hear that they're doing a good job and that they're helping students be successful. So as much as you can acknowledge that, write them thank you notes, or just acknowledge that they're doing something really, really well can go a really, really long way. 
If you're looking some for some more ideas, I did do a whole blog post about this. So you can head over to my website at teachingbehaviortogether.com and just read about the different strategies that I talk about for building that relationship with paraprofessionals, especially as a young teacher. All right, so the second question I got was my thoughts on PBIS. And I know there's a lot of differing opinions about PBIS. I know it can be a very divisive topic. So I do want to just share my opinions about it and let you know that these are my opinions about PBIS, the research I've done about PBIS, and the thoughts that I have about PBIS as a behavior analyst. First thing I want to say is that PBIS is not a ticket token system. I think a lot of times there is the misperception that PBIS is just a ticket or token system and schools will implement some sort of tickets or dollars or whatever they might be and think that this is all that PBIS has to offer and that's not really the case. So what I really just want to talk about really quickly is what PBIS is. And PBIS is a framework or a tier levels of support system that you can use to help support the behavioral and social emotional needs of your students. It really fits within the MTSS framework or the multi-tiered systems of support framework. If you know about RTI, which is the academic version of PBIS essentially, is where you're supporting students' needs through different levels of interventions so that we're really allowing all of our students to be successful. It's the same thing with PBIS. So there's different levels of interventions that our students can engage with to be successful with their behavioral and social emotional learning skills. At Tier 1, PBIS focuses on setting expectations with students, and I say with students because PBS does advocate for the development of class-wide or school-wide expectations with student voice in the process of developing those expectations and reinforcing those expectations. And a lot of times the reinforcement is interpreted as a ticket or token system, but it's not necessarily how it has to be. It's that we reinforce those appropriate expected behaviors or those expectations in our classrooms so we continue to see those appropriate behaviors. At the tier two and tier three level, PBIS really focuses on teaching those skills. Now, I do wanna differentiate, PBIS is not a intervention. Just like RTI is not an intervention, RTI has tier two and tier three interventions embedded into those tiers that help teach those academic skills. Same thing with PBIS. There are interventions that you can use at the tier two and tier three level that help foster skill development and help maintain those skills over time. So again, PBIS is a tiered framework. You have the tier one level where you're teaching those expectations with your students. You also have should have a social emotional learning curriculum so that you're teaching those foundational social emotional learning skills at that tier one level. And then tier two and tier three should contain interventions that are focused on building and teaching behavioral and social emotional learning skills. There can also be general behavioral and social emotional learning supports that can be beneficial to the overall building of skills for our students, like check-in, check-out systems or some sort of individualized system of reinforcement for a student can be really effective at helping build and maintain those skills. But at the foundation of tier two and tier three should be programs that allow for explicit teaching of specific skills that students might be missing in terms of behavioral and social emotional learning. So now that I've just talked about a little bit about what PBIS is, I'm going to tell you what my opinion on PBIS is. I think it can be done really effectively if it's done the right way. If you're focusing just on the logistics of how to deliver tickets and tokens, it's not going to be effective. And if that's the perception of what PBIS is in your building, it's not going to be effective. If you utilize it as a tiered framework of support for students, it can be really, really effective. 
So basically my opinion is that if it's done in the way that it was intended to be used as a framework of tiered systems of support, where at the different tiers you have different interventions that help support student needs in terms of their behavioral and social emotional learning needs, and you're really focused on teaching those foundational skills and explicit skill instruction, it can be really successful. But if you're just focused on delivering tickets and tokens and what students can earn with those tickets and tokens, it's probably not going to be as successful as it can be. I do encourage you, though, to check out the PBIS.org website to fully understand what the framework is, because this is just my like very condensed version of what PBIS is, and it's a very like top surface level summary of what PBIS can be in your school. They have a ton of guides on their website that allow you to learn about the different aspects of PBIS and how to implement it effectively within your building. So the next question I got was from a teacher who works in a classroom with a behavioral focus and they were asking if I had any advice on either rotating paras throughout the day with different students or keeping them with an assigned student each day. So I just want to say this is going to really depend on the dynamics of your classroom and can change year to year or even within a year. So I just want to like kind of highlight what I think are pros and cons to each type of system. One, I believe that everyone in your room should know all of the plans for all of your students. So that would advocate for pairs rotating amongst different students throughout the day because I do think that everyone in the classroom should be able to carry out the behavioral programming for all of the students so that overall your classroom can be really successful. With that being said, it also takes time for everyone to learn the different behavioral programming. So there is something to be said about paras being assigned a specific student so they can really learn that student's behavioral programming and really build a relationship and build rapport with that student so that they're able to help that student be successful throughout the day. However, on the other hand, it is also really helpful for our students to be able to generalize their skills and be able to work with other adults in the building, in your classroom, in other classrooms or different environments. So we want to make sure that we're also building those skills in with our students by allowing them to work with other adults in your classroom and in the building. So as you can see, I go back and forth and it really depends and it's really going to come down to the individualized support that your students need. If you have a student who works really, really well with a paraprofessional in your classroom, you might want to have that paraprofessional working with that student while they're really building the skills that they need to be able to work with other adults in the building or in different classrooms. But you also want to make sure that you're giving students the ability to generalize their skills to other adults and so that they're really able to be successful in all environments. I also want to make a note that for students who have really challenging behaviors, if you have one adult working with them all the time, that can lead to burnout. So you also want to keep that in mind as well. If we have a student who engages in some challenging behaviors and we have one paraprofessional working with that student primarily, that can be really, really tough on that paraprofessional. So if you're thinking about helping support our paraprofessionals, it is really important that we're building in some sort of rotation so that we're not contributing to any burnout. Overall, I would say that I typically advocate for a rotation because it really helps build the skills of our students. Now, that's a general statement in that if you do have students who work really, really well with a particular person, it might be really helpful to have them work with that particular person for an extended period of time so they're really able to build their skills and be successful and then start generalizing to other people in your classroom and in the building. 
So I go back and forth on it. It really depends on the students, the dynamics of the classroom, the level of need in the classroom. So it's really going to be something that you're going to have to probably change year to year or even throughout the year. But just keep in mind the different pros and cons to each system and really make that choice for your students and what's going to allow them to be most successful in your classroom. All right, so the last question I have for you today is about working with a student who asks to work for something. So I'm assuming the student is on some sort of token system, reinforcement system, and they're asking to work for something, but then while they're working for it, they change their mind, and then they start engaging in refusal behavior. All right, so that's kind of complicated, but what I would say is that you, if you do have a student who is working on a like token program or working with some sort of tokens where they're earning some sort of reinforcer, and you find that the student often changes their mind like in the middle of working for something and then they don't wanna work for that original item anymore, what I would say is that make an icon for their token board that's just choice. So they're working for a choice of something so that they can make that choice whenever they're done working for that item. And then make sure you have a really, really well-developed menu of choices so that you have a lot of choices for them to pick from. So it's not always that they're working for like the same three or four choices because that can get boring as well and that could be less motivating for some of our students. So if you have a really broad choice menu, it can be really helpful in helping our students work towards something that they really enjoy. We've all probably been in the situation where we have a student who was working for computer time and they've worked for computer time a couple of days and then today they say they want to work for computer time again but then in like the middle of the work task they're like I don't really want computer and then they don't want to do the work task anymore. So what I would say is that we should be providing that choice and maybe making some sort of icon that indicates to them that they will have a choice at the end of the work task and then making it well known all of the choices that they're going to be able to pick from. You might also want to set up your token board where there are three different reinforcers listed and they can pick from those three different reinforcers. Again, you're going to want those three reinforcers to come from a bank of overall a lot more than three reinforcers so that you continue to keep the motivation for working towards that item. So that's basically my advice for like that piece of it is just make sure that you're providing a lot of choice and allow kids to switch in the middle of a work task if they want to. Like I don't see any problem with if a student says that they wanted to work for computer time first and then in the middle of the work task they're like actually I want to work for playing with Play-Doh. That to me is totally fine especially if they ask for whatever the other item is appropriately. I do want to note that reinforcement is so complex and that the main focus of all of our behavioral programming should be on building the skills of the students so they're able to contact a naturally occurring reinforcer. So for example, if you have a student who's working on like the academic stamina of being able to work for longer, longer periods of time, it could be that the naturally occurring reinforcer is a completed task. So we want to also build that into our behavioral programming is that we don't always want our students to be working for those external reinforcers, although that is definitely appropriate for a lot of our students and especially when we're starting to build the skills, but we should always keep it in the back of our head that we want to make sure that we have a naturally occurring reinforcer at the end of all of our behavioral programming so we can fade out that contrived reinforcer and allow the student to really contact that naturally occurring reinforcer. So I hope that helps with some of that. I know that's pretty, pretty common in classrooms that we have students who want to work for something and then like halfway through they don't want to work for it anymore and it can be kind of confusing and they can start engaging in some of that refusal behavior and that's not something we really want to see. So we want to make sure that we're giving them a lot of choice and just a lot of options because that can really help cut down on some of that refusal behavior if they know that they can change their mind or they can know that they can make another choice. 
All right, so that's all that I had for you today. As always, I hope that this episode was helpful and answered some of the questions that you had or might not have known that you've had. If you have any other questions, you can always follow me over on Instagram at Teaching Behavior Together, and I can answer your questions over there or add them into a future Q&A episode. If you like this episode, if you can just give it a rating or review, that would be really, really helpful. It helps other teachers find this podcast and these episodes as well. Thank you so much for listening. I really, really appreciate it and have a great rest of the day.